and welcome, listeners, to another episode of Cathode Raycast, the Story Screen Presents podcast where we talk about all things television. As always, I'm your host, Bernadette Gorman-White, and we're just going to dive right in um, to this episode because we are going to be covering two seasons and two specials. We're going to keep it to, we're going to try to finish this out around an hour, not get too crazy in depth because we could, we could probably talk for four hours about this subject. Um, But excited to bring Euphoria to you listeners. I know it's been a long time coming. This show came out in 2019. So we're here in 2022, two seasons, two specials, like I said, very dense show. I'm very excited though today to have Scotty Arnold as my guest. Yeah, let's talk about Euphoria. Yeah. So we, uh, listeners, if you enjoy this episode, at the end, go look for Scotty and I having a discussion about Yellow Jackets mm. from a few months back. Um, buzz, buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz, buzz. So this is the second time I'm having Scotty on the show. And I'm excited because we both, I think, love this show, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am thrilled to be back and thrilled to be back talking about Euphoria. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So Scotty and I have been hanging out for, you know, at this point, like a couple hours. We got breakfast together. Uh, we tried to keep the conversation minimal. But to uh, get into why you like this show briefly before, like, really digging in, what drew you to Euphoria? A few things. Um, I consider this to be in a lineage of things that I like a lot, which which are just this sort of, like... Um, uh, gritty teen dramas involving sex and drugs, of which the first one I can remember watching is Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really loved the movie 13 when it came out. And um, I'm really, I, uh, I, I was a, like pretty um, uh, like boring high school kid, but went to a high school where there were less boring people. And it's like, definitely, I mean, in, in middle school can remember sort of people being in and out of rehab. And so, um, Dang. this, yeah. So this, uh, I'm, I've always been sort of like fascinated at sort of like getting, getting a peek into, into the lives of, of people who I was sort of peripherally around a little. Um, and so a lot of it was genre and then, uh, and then actually a lot of it was, um, the thing that pushed me over the edge. I didn't watch this when, like, I didn't watch season one when it came out. It took me a little while. Um, and it took me realizing that Sam Levinson made it, who made Assassination Nation, which I loved very, very much. Um, and so the, the combination of, uh, of a genre that I like and, a, a filmmaker and, um, and creator that I like a lot, uh, got me in. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one question before I get into uh, my experience with Euphoria, but did you go to a larger high school or a smaller high school? Oh, uh, probably a larger high school, I would say, on the spectrum. Okay. Um, I think we had just over, a th- like, we had over a thousand people at my high school. Is that big or small? In your grade or? No, it, in the whole school. I in think it school. was like, yeah, I think it was uh, like, maybe 1200 all told so it was like okay. 300 a grade or something okay so i don't know Mid- i would say mid-size? that's on the upper end of being still a fairly small school great wouldn't you think so sure <laughs> <laughs> my assessment is always kind of strange because i went to a very small uh-huh. rural high school 
And what is very small mean to you? Uh, I had like 80 some people in my grade. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so very tiny. Yeah, um, that's enough that you can sort of still pick your friends and stuff. Yeah, I, I you know, I found yeah. too, like, it was, like, there were 13 people in my graduating <laughs> class. But like 80 is enough that you can find your people a little bit, that you have like a sort of diverse homogeny of people, but, um, but small sure. enough that you probably know everybody in your grade. Yeah, not only did I feel like I knew everyone in my grade, uh, when I was a senior in high school, my brother, who's the first sibling underneath me, mm-hmm. he was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our nerdy friend groups overlapped. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I knew like a decent amount of people from senior year through uh, freshman. And then uh, at the time, I think, yeah, my sister Nora, she was in seventh grade at the uh-huh. time. And seven through 12 was all in one building. Yeah. So. Yeah. Pretty contained uh, group for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Do you watch um, Letterkenny? Is that no. What? Okay. So in Letterkenny, they have like these groups of people and they're like the hicks and then like the skids. Okay. Who are like the druggies. Great. And yeah, like growing up in my high school, it was <laughs> kind of like the hicks and the skids. Okay. Great. <laughs> Great. But yeah, I also came to Euphoria a little late, um, mostly because like I knew how sexually charged it was, uh-huh. and Heath and I will watch things together for sure. But he's also a passive watcher. He'll be like playing video games while I'm watching stuff. Okay. And Does he, he like ever sort of drop everything and watch something with you, or is it usually rarely? Okay. It's Great. always really nice when he does. Okay. okay. <laughs> Heath, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but even if he's on the couch, sometimes he'll have like his iPad out or something. He just, it's hard to like really pull his focus. Yeah. Um. I get it. Yeah. But Euphoria wasn't a show that I wanted to watch with him like constantly asking me questions Uh because he was only like partially paying attention, which is kind of a thing that he does. I love him to bits, but Uh he's, he'll say, oh, I'm not really interested in watching this. And then he'll be half paying attention and then asking me for the other half that Uh he's missing. Yeah. And I didn't want that to be going down with Euphoria because I knew how like style, stylistic it was and how dense of a show it was. Yep. Um, so I watched it. He went on like a business trip, essentially. Okay. And so I binged season one and I binged the first half of season two to catch up so that I could be with everyone else at yes. the end of the tail end of season two. Great. But Is yeah. this play about us? <laughs> it's our life. <laughs> um... But yeah, I really like it. Um, I get the hype. Mm-hmm. I understand it. Yep. Uh, the specials are wonderful. And there are a few episodes within the first couple seasons that I think are standout episodes. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't watched any of it before Zendaya got her first Emmy. Uh-huh. And I think she is lining up to get a second, don't you think? Oof. I hope so. I hope so, too. Yeah. 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 Late to the Zendaya train, too. I feel like I'm really late to... A lot of those Disney stars who sure. went on, I think I they were too young for me at the time. Yeah, when yep. they got big in Disney, and yep. so like they completely went over my head. Mm-hmm. Like Olivia Rodrigo, even yep. like Ariana Grande. Like I don't really remember watching them on Disney yeah. at all. Yeah, um, uh, I don't either. Um, yeah, and I my being a dorky theater kid, my uh, intersection with them comes of like, oh Ariana Grande, she was in that musical Thirteen when she was thirteen on Broadway, and. <laughs> Maybe not how everybody knows her, but... Did not um, know that was a thing. Yeah, she was great. Um, and and Zendaya, my first experience with Zendaya was um, going to see my local regional theater production of Caroline or Change, my favorite musical, uh, in which she played a little black boy. Um, oh. 
Um, is that Tony Kushner? That, that is Tony Kushner. Well done. Ooh. Yes, Bernadette, five points. Some stuff <laughs> sticks in the brain. <laughs> um, yes, uh, Zendaya played uh, I, uh, Joe, I think, uh, Joe Thibodeau, and um, she was just great. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. Because uh, really, I think my first experience watching Zendaya, because also with the Spider-Man movies, I didn't watch them until just recently. And I wanted to watch the first two to be able to watch the third one. Right. In theaters. Um, big fan of the other Spider-Man franchises. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. So it kind of came to the Tom Holland one late. Yep. And by the third one, it was like, all right, I get it now. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, watching her in that was very interesting. And then seeing like, oh, this girl can like actually really act. <laughs> was a nice eye opener. In Euphoria. Yes, in yeah. Euphoria. Right. Yeah. There's, she doesn't um, have a lot to do in the Spider-Man movies. She's great in them. There's not a lot for her to do. <laughs> she doesn't. And <laughs> the um, we're recording this like, you know, shortly post Oscars and uh, um, Almodovar came out with like a little diary of the night and talks about sort of going up to Zendaya and saying like, I'm really excited for you to do film work like the stuff that we know you can do now from Euphoria. <laughs> Which is like like a little bit of a dig at Spider-Man, but um, yeah. I get <laughs> Well, what was that movie she was in on Netflix? I didn't watch it. I didn't either. And, it, and I think Malcolm Sam Levinson and made it too, right? I think so. Yeah. So, I think I, so it was like a pandemic project of theirs and it looks interesting. I It looks... It looks interesting, and I and I look forward to watching it. And it's also um, looks like a pandemic project, which sometimes are not as fun to watch as other things. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> There's definitely like a little veneer over all of those pandemic projects. Yeah, and right. either sometimes it really works for the movie, and other times it really does not. The poor everyone who's not Bo Burnham. I'm like, because that's my bar now. <laughs> there was this really cute movie, uh, Zoe Lister-Jones uh, co-wrote it and directed it, and it's called The Way It Ends, mm. and it's really cute. It's like, end of the world, apocalypse, like everyone knows that the world is ending okay. the day after, Okay. and so it's like the last day on Earth, yeah. and she is being visited by her younger self, oh, and so she like spends the day with herself, essentially, okay. and she's like walking around town trying to make amends, trying to figure out like, who do I want to talk to on the last day of Earth? And it's very much a pandemic film because, like, the streets are empty. Yeah. But it's really cute. Great. Yeah. Good movie. Great. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pair that with Malcolm and Marie. We're going to yeah. double feature. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the other actress that I love in Euphoria that I was glad I had watched The White Lotus first was Sydney Sweeney. Okay, great. Because um, she was in The White Lotus. Uh-huh. Which I have missed also. And that character was despicable. <laughs> and I, I was glad that I didn't know her as Cassie going into the White Lotus because I didn't want to like her in the White Lotus. I don't think you're supposed to like her. Uh-huh. Do you like Cassie? I do like Cassie. Yeah. I have a soft spot for Cassie. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like Cassie? Um, yeah. I think I do. I mean, I think that uh, I think I care about Cassie. I don't always like Cassie, but I always care about Cassie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We were talking briefly uh, at breakfast um, about, like, our growing up, and I come from a divorced household. Yes, me too. Yeah. And, uh... What, what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say, my dad, I don't have a relationship with my dad anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, When when did that happen in your life? I was around 11, 12, like, sixth grade, essentially. Yeah. And... Well, that's not hard enough, really, so it's good that you had that. Yeah. (laughs) 
sixth grade on its own is just a walk in the park, so. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was just about to get glasses. Yeah. I was being told I needed braces, ended up not getting braces. Oh, yeah. And I had a friend who told me, like, oh, wow, you're going to look like a nerd. I'm like, thanks. Wow. That's <laughs> Rough like, time. Let's put quotes around that friend. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I come from a divorced household and my dad also kind of just left and Mm -hmm. he would come around every once in a while and the visits became fewer and fewer. Yep. And he also has drug issues. Yep. Um, He also stole from my mom at one point after the divorce. So, I mean, I really relate to Cassie and Lexi. Sure. um, Because, yeah, I, I don't think i had any friends growing up whose parents passed away Uh actually i take that back um i knew a few people but yeah it is always kind of like the conversation of like well parents dying is also very sad but also knowing that a parent's alive but not wanting to be around sure it's like what what is more tragic they're both tragic i don't think you can really compare them but 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 that comparison really explicitly comes up in season two right yes (laughs) yeah yeah, so I really, I really like Cassie. And if anything, during like the Team Maddie or Team Cassie sure. debacle of season two, <laughs> I was just on Team Cassie, but not in like a anti-Team Maddie type of way. Yeah. I just right. like cared more about Cassie at the moment. Yeah. But on my second watch through, I felt like I was much more compassionate towards Maddie. And uh-huh. I can relate to her not wanting to work. I think that's something yeah. I've kind of grown into. I'm glad I didn't have that feeling in high school. Yep. Because that's a little too young. <laughs> sure. Right. Agreed. Um, the ennui isn't as strong <laughs> then, or it shouldn't be. But... Right. If we're, hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, and, and that's one of the great things about this show, I think, is that, like, uh, one, I, I, earlier in the day we were talking about sort of girls and point of view of shows and if if a show is a critique or if it's sort of an empathetic look and i think uh i think euphoria is is very empathetic um and so even when when we get to sort of these like cassie versus maddie thing like there's no there are only losers there are no winners (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely I love in that one of those final bathroom scenes mm. where Cassie and Maddie have already had their like battle through the hallway. <laughs> yeah, maybe throwing her into the wall. Yeah. <laughs> There's um that line that Maddie says to Cassie. She says, Don't worry, this is only the beginning. Yeah. And the first time I saw it like as a threat uh-huh. almost, like she was basically telling Cassie, like, oh, it's gonna get worse. Sure. But then the second time I watched it, I was like, no, I actually think Maddie is kind of, like, over it. And she's kind of telling Cassie, like, don't worry, this is only the beginning, it'll get easier. But I love how, like, there's not a closing clause to that sentence, because you can read it as more of, like, a things are going to get worse from here. Yeah. Or you can read it as a things are going to get better. Like, this is only the beginning, we'll get through this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We can heal together. I think that their friendship is moving towards more being okay. I think so too. Okay, and good. I think that, yeah. For me, that line was about like, um, you are just getting started in the screwed up world of what it is to date Nate. Yes. You're going to go through a lot worse than this. And on some level, I feel like you deserve that because you took him from me. But on another level, I'm going to be your friend going through it with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, looking back on it in high school, and college even, but there's a lot of trauma bonding going on. Sure. Yeah. And 
some of the trauma, most of the trauma is self-inflicted. You're causing the drama and then you're also causing the healing and then you're moving on to the next bout of drama. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you feel? I mean, there are kind of like three contained segments of Euphoria at this point. There's season one. Yep. There are the two specials. Yep. And then season two. Yes. Did your opinions change throughout the course of, of watching them? Did you feel like certain parts of it were more defined for you? Or does it all kind of blend together? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, I think I was really firmly on the ride of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. The There was a sort of kinetic energy to it. There was... Um, uh, and there was like a, like a really sexy danger that just sort of like pulled me through that first season in a really exciting way. Um, and the, I thought the specials were just like a really interesting, cool contrast to that, right? Of like this, and they, they, you know, they talked about this and this was intentional, but sort of this, you had this like kinetic, um, you know, we were talking at breakfast, like Baz Luhrmann has nothing on <laughs> Euphoria in terms of like, just like cuts, cuts, cuts and, and dynamic and um, high contrast and uh, which I love, which I eat up. And I, and I, yeah. one of the things that I like that I love the most about Euphoria is just the, the idea that like, um, I think there have the, the films and television shows that have used the visual and narrative discoveries of music videos, I think are more few and far between than I would like. And I think Euphoria just sort of like picks up on that visual vocabulary really well of just like, why be normal when we could be special right now? Why be, (laughs) you know, why just like show this in natural light when we could sort of like be expressionist with this and show the most version of itself. Um, which I love. And so, whereas, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, my mom, my mom likes Zendaya, but like the show is too much for her. Um, <laughs> and, and I think she, you know, was, was flipping around and the, the only thing she's ever seen of the show is like the scene with Cal, the first scene with Jules and Cal. Oh. Um, so she's like, this show's not for me. Not a good entry point. Uh, not a good entry in, point. In many ways. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Um, but the one thing that she has watched is, is she's, she's in recovery and has like watched the full Rue special and like, likes it very much in terms of like, just like an extended conversation about sobriety and, um, sort of youth and what you learn in between then and now. And, um, and so there's something really special and really fitting, I think, to what we were all going through in that moment to say like, I maybe all of our lives have been a little kinetic and a little crazy and we are all sitting with ourselves right now in a way that um that these specials let the these characters do yeah um and then season two man um i season two i liked season two a lot i think in many ways it's like growing in really exciting ways. I think it like the, the storytelling is maturing a little bit. I think we're sort of able to tackle, um, issues in, uh, a, a deeper way than we were in season one. Um, and I, I, there, there was, 
my only detraction about season two is that um, I didn't. Th- I I thought some of the plots got a little sensational in ways that I didn't need them to. If that makes sense, like okay. I was invested enough in the characters that I felt like they were. Um, uh, I just felt like a lot happened in that in those last couple of episodes, mm-hmm. um, in a way that felt like a little bit like a finale of a TV show as opposed to a slice of life. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, uh, but the other side of that is, I think, like you know, they they worked toward all of those things, and all of those things independently felt a little felt earned. It just felt like a the confluence of them felt like a a, a lot to 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 believe was happening at once yeah yeah i have watched everything twice at at this point yes and uh i will say i enjoy season two a lot better the second time around okay than the first time around Uh and i think it is because that first season was as you said so kinetic and i felt like season one worked a lot better as a whole okay and it seemed like it had more of like a through thought uh-huh. That it was working towards. Uh-huh. And I thought the second season, because it was so misaligned with what was going on in the first season. So the first season, you would get those like episodes where it would kind of tell you, like, this is the character we're following in this right. episode. It was very lost, right? <laughs> yeah. And season two didn't really have that. Sure. And so what I was wanting as a viewer, I was wrestling with what they were giving me and with what I wanted, mm-hmm. which I know is never a good way to come <laughs> into watching anything. Sure. But yeah, there were lots of moments where it was like, well, I wish we could have seen more Cat. And then you realize, oh, well, Cat doesn't have a lot going on in this season. So there's really no reason to have Cat on your screen. Sure. And then you're wondering, man, do I really need these last two episodes of this season to be this play? <laughs> and at first I was really not into it. And then the second time I watched it, I agree. Uh, it, it worked its magic on me and I felt like it was more earned yeah. the second time around. Especially once I realized that the second season was more about Lexi and Rue than Rue and Jules. Right. Um, so it was kind of getting back to this character that was kind of, you know, a shadow in the first season. Lexi wasn't as featured as heavily. Yep. And so it was kind of nice to see her take the spotlight, especially as a character who I can kind of identify with. Totally. For sure. But I do think those play sequences are great. <laughs> but the fact that we're seeing only scenes from the play spliced in with flashbacks and reaction shots to the play. It's a lot going on. It, it makes me feel like the play actually wouldn't be very good. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there, uh-huh. there are so many moments where you realize like, oh, Lexi was in that last scene. Now the curtain's been closed for like three minutes as she's like changing into her next outfit. <laughs> like, what's happening on stage? Nothing. <laughs> It did leave me as an avid theater goer, kind of like wondering what the experience of being in the room with that play was like. Um, but the the other side of that is like, yeah, she, like this is in the end, this is a high school girl who's never written a play before. So like right. maybe sort of, of course. And, right. uh, and maybe in this world where like what we know of that audience is that like these are people who like aren't don't necessarily have a lot of expectations about what a play is going to be but like are here for um to sort of experience this community and and here to sort of like experience the um uh what they end up getting which is sort of like a a a a wild version of reality um uh which feels 
yeah, the, like the, the the I guess the play felt connected to like uh, social media storytelling in a way that most plays don't. To Interesting. Me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even consider that. Um, just in the in the sort of like, it felt. Um, I, I mean, it's 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 sort of feels like intentionally hard to for us as an audience to to really glimpse what the play was because it was bleeding so hard into everything else into flashbacks and into um uh into reality but the um i guess and 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 i'm thinking like particularly of the um of the musical number uh-huh. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which felt very much like, uh, I don't know if this has any place in this play that we're doing, but like, <laughs> but watching Nate's reaction to this is the, some of the biggest tension I've ever seen in this show. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, you have that other layer on top of it where most of the things happening in the play, Lexi was a part of. Uh-huh. But then there are moments like when Cassie and Maddie are at the fair and they're in that fun house and they're talking to each other about what they want to do for the rest of the year. Yeah. Like Lexi wasn't there. Right. Like she didn't know <laughs> those exchanges. Uh-huh. So you have that level on top of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, all right. Is Lexi Sam in this instance? It right. kind of seems like yes, <laughs> but okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I also really loved the play aspect and this really was hammered home the second time I watched it and didn't really pick up on it the first time around was just how intense the storylines in Euphoria are. Hmm. But then outside of like those people, like everyone in the audience, you just think like these are the drama kids in the school. Like everyone knows their drama, yeah. but not everyone knows their drama. Like yeah. their drama is so self-contained yep. that like all these people in the high school, like didn't even really know who these people were. Yeah. And thinking like, Marta is a, an original character, but right. not picking up on like, oh, that's Maddie. <laughs> and, and Hallie, oh, that's Cassie. Right. And it just made you realize like, oh, yeah, like, this is a school. This, this world is, is an so environment. Small. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, this is very important to these people, but like so many other people go to the school. Yeah. Yeah. It was very funny. Yeah. And I think that I was surprised that so much, like, what, so much airtime was dedicated to the play until... You know, watching those those interviews that they do, sort of after the credits, and hearing the justification of like, and 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 like, sort of seeing this in the episode, but but understanding that like, on some like, if this is Rue's, if this is Rue's show, then the point of that play is to let Rue empathize with herself, mm-hmm. um, and to to sort of see it through that like a storyline, and understand why that moment was so important for her justified to me like how much time we were spending on it too mm-hmm. and then there's one scene in the play that can you know either tear your theory apart or reinforce it uh because i had talked to my hairdresser after watching that finale i think it was like a couple days afterwards oh. and that the scene in the play which is i thought the most interesting is when you go into the flash forward of rue congratulating lexi on the play uh-huh. and them having that heart-to-heart conversation about their fathers uh-huh. and then you see that scene written into the play itself <laughs> do you think the first time i watched that i thought okay that was like that took me out of the show because clearly that couldn't have happened yeah but then the second time i watched it i thought that was like lexi's wish fulfillment of like how she thought a conversation with Rue would have gone following the play. Yeah. 
and kind of like a way that she was helped guiding Rue into like saying things that she had probably wanted to say but couldn't. Yeah. And Lexi also kind of like getting some comfort from a friend that never really comforted her when her father left. Right. Um, because, right. you know, she was going through things of her own. Sure. So it seemed to me like she had written that scene. And the thing that we're seeing with actual Lexi and actual Rue... Is in Lexi's head. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. What did you think? Um, I thought it was unclear, and I don't mean that as a negative. Sure. Um, yeah. That you don't have to, like, pin I, it down. Yeah. I think, like, I'm sort of okay living in a world in which, like, maybe that really happened, and maybe it's in the play, and, like, you know, and and not that, not that there's something, like... A, I'm not talking about a multiverse thing here, but but just in this sort of surreal storytelling world of the play that like, this seems at least, and I think, you know, I think I'm also picking up on this from what Sam Levinson says in those interviews after of like, this is the, like, that is the moment where Rue sort of explicitly says, I, I can empathize with myself through this play mm-hmm. and that it, it, I, I'm not okay with that being fully fake because that's what Sam said is important about that plot point for Rue. Right. Who is the protagonist. So right. I think that uh, that is true for Rue, whether or not they have that conversation. And um, it's interesting that we have it sort of through somebody else's eyes who had to imagine it, but that it's also still very true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, very comforting to know, unfortunately, not for for Fez, but uh, that everyone who Lexi needed to see the play saw it. Yep. And that was comforting to know. Yep. Um, Just because it felt like Lexi, you know, she keeps saying her intentions are good. (laughs) um, And it just seems like she was making everyone confront who they are (laughs) and how they are. (laughs) Yeah. And it worked for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Sue's got to live her best life through Ethan. Um, uh-huh. She got to feel appreciated um, yep. by her daughter, which I think she was probably having a rough time. Things with Cassie and, you know, yep. it, it's nice, you know, when you have a recognition moment with your parent, like totally. everyone goes through that, you know, like, oh, my parent is just older than me, but they're just, <laughs> they're just a human. <laughs> yep. Life sucks for them too. Yep. But yeah, it seemed like, you know, Cassie hated watching the play, but it ended up doing her some good and helped yep. Maddie. Uh, Kat didn't really get much to do in the play, but yep. <laughs> she, she she was there. She got to feel like she was part of something, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and it even kind of made Nate confront things about himself. You know, he, he was seeing like how absurd the play was and it hurt him. And I, it sucked to see him hurt in that circumstance but it also means that he's probably coming to terms with himself a little bit more hopefully oh that's not what i got from it no (laughs) i mean he was very upset that it was very homophobic and so well i think i was surprised to hear that word come out of his mouth me too and i think it's a i think it was great i think it was like because it's a it's such a great and like true on many levels uh criticism to throw at that without having to say i feel attacked because um i have some gay stuff that i'm burying deep (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i okay the one here's a few issues i have 
Ready? Yeah, let's get into them. Um, first of all, uh, we had a musical number full of like really buff, uh, like dancing hypothetically theater guys, but Ethan was the one double cast as the mom <laughs> and Nate. Like, pick somebody else to be Nate. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that's a theater well, criticism. <laughs> Nate sues the dad even yeah at one point yeah yeah it's a lot it's, it's even playing everyone pretty it's much it's even playing everyone and then we see all these other guys on stage um okay that's a pretty silly critique uh <laughs> i was talking to my sister about season two who had some sort of uh some good things to say i think about like rue's mom felt so uh like on top of it and like pretty uh, skeptical and insightful about what was going on with Rue in season one, and it's like a little bit hard to believe that all of season two goes by and she does not know that Rue is using. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, she's really not around. Same goes Jules. Yeah, like Rue is really high a lot around Jules. Yeah, not and just to, weed high. Not just weed high, and to try and to 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 try to believe that Jules is not picking up on that at all is challenging. Yeah, I can agree with you. Unless, and I don't think they built this into the show, but this is just me giving them the benefit of the doubt, Uh that, yeah, Jules perhaps was not wanting to see it because things were kind of going well. Right. And I think that's a, right, that, that I would have, uh, I would have loved to see that explored. I think like that's an interesting idea that I think is a great reason for Jules not seeing things, but is not in the show as of yet. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but those are pretty nitpicky things, and in in large part, I continue to love this show, and I'm very excited to see where it goes next. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a hindrance to my watching the show the first time around, knowing that because I came into it past the specials. Okay. So because there was a Rue special and because there was a Jules special, mm-hmm. I kind of like was already being told that they yeah. were the lead characters in the Got show. It. Got it. And so I really watched the show the first time with that lens of like, these are the two leads. Yeah. And they are kind of. Yeah. A little bit. But in season two, especially not. Um, I think Rue takes more of a forefront. Yeah. And I think Jules takes much more of a backseat. Yeah. Which is a bummer because I think Hunter Schaefer is amazing and... Giving me, like, all the, like, 90s Claire Danes that I ever wanted. Oh, yeah. She is very <laughs> 90s Claire Danes. And aren't uh, Rue and Gia watching My So-Called Life? They, they watch My So-Called one? Life, like, Jules. And she says, don't get with the Jordan Catalano. And <laughs> she's kind of like, Rue is the Jordan Catalano. Exactly. And, yeah. like, Jules is basically, like, wearing uh, the, the Juliet like angel costume in her season one true costume look it's great it's great but like the chin quiver when she cries it's like all so claire danes and i love it it is very claire danes (laughs) 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 kind of mad i didn't see all this puzzle pieces being put together it's time for a third watch it sounds (laughs) like (laughs) absolutely but yeah so watching that first season and getting to know these other characters and then i because i i do think the first season works better together as a whole Okay. And I think season two has some very, like, lights out, shining moments. Mm-hmm. But I think part of season two that doesn't work as well for me is they seemingly had more money, I want to say, going into season two. Yeah. Which meant more money to be spent on music. Uh-huh. And so there was a lot more 
like needle drops as opposed to labyrinth scoring the season all told. Sure. And so many needle drops. <laughs> and I don't think I needed the the music to be as kinetic as the scenes. Okay. But it was. Granted, okay. all of the music they chose was great. Like yeah. all of those songs are great. Yeah. Um, I need a hero. Yeah. That one's great. Yep. <laughs> um that song, uh, Right Down the Line. Yeah. Is that what it's called? They use it a couple times. Every, I mean, everything in like the cow flashback but, stuff oof. is like perfectly chosen, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking of the scene where they first go to Lori's house and they're yeah. making him strip that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the music that they chose was great, but I think I was disappointed to not have as much labyrinth in the second uh-huh. season, seemingly uh-huh. so. Yep. Because I think having a composer come and score a show yeah. in such a fresh way is kind of unheard of. Hmm. Um, hmm. I know Noah Hawley on his Fargo series, hmm. uh, his composer does a decent amount of work for the show and it does kind of pull the show together. Yeah. But I think most often shows will just dip into the, like the catalog of songs too. Particularly shows it. like this. Right. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's a lot more common in like, you know, I think like brothers and sisters is pretty well scored. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, and like, I think a lot of sort of like generic sort of, or, I'm sorry, apologies to brothers and sisters, uh, but uh, a lot of sort of more traditional, uh, comedies and dramas are pretty scored through with sort of like, oh, and here's the emotional music and here's the funny music of people sneaking around. Oh, like, uh, yes, yes. Um, I see but, what you're saying. But to have it, yeah, to have it on a show, what makes this show special? I don't know. <laughs> Well, that first season, yeah, definitely set the tone of it. Like, yeah, this I, is both a show, but it's also like a soundtrack. It's also, you know, and we haven't said yet that like uh, that this the first season was based on another television show that I have not that I have no experience of. Do you? No, I don't. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and like, let's watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strange that I guess maybe Sam Levinson just saw that show and it spoke to him because it seems like such a personal show from his per- point of view. Is, being a recovering drug addict that you know it's strange that the show existed outside of him at all agreed yeah right Right. um yeah and it seems like he just saw a story that could contain what was inside of him Mm -hmm. which is really cool which is you know the 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 thing that you hope people find when they do adaptations is like i have a story inside me and this story can speak to it absolutely yeah i wonder if that original series euphoria I wonder how many seasons. That I don't is. know. It might be one contained season. I don't. I my impression was that it was one season, but I mm-hmm. think that's an assumption. Sure, me too. <laughs> me too. I mean, granted, we have these lovely computers right here. We but do. <laughs> that would halt the conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you feel watching the show the first time around? I. It's not that I didn't want characters to be redeemed or that I didn't want redemption for certain characters, but sometimes I kind of like a villain just to be a villain. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes I don't need the nuance, but I guess with a show like Euphoria, especially if it's going to go on you know, for seasons and seasons, who, who knows how long they plan to do it, they can't just let a character just be a straight up villain because right. that would just kind of almost be impossible. Daniel. Um, unless you have like a Daniel <laughs> or a Laurie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which Laurie isn't. She's a complex villain. Daniel seems like a pretty straightforward villain. 
Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't super buy into Lori being the villain until, until the morphine shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, and, and I have to say like, that is like one of the reasons I love this show so much is, is these like moments of artistic risk taking, um, like doing that whole scene blurry behind the focused camera on the morphine. Mm-hmm. Like there are, there are just shots in this, in this TV show that blow me away. Oh, absolutely. Um, another, another one in season two that comes to mind is, is watching Nate sitting down with a gun and watching Cassie strip or watching, watching Maddie put change in, in front and not know that he's there. Like these, um, that just like, I think elevate this show from being a teen drama to being some pretty high art. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, the, the lighting too, just being like super harsh some of the time and like the shadows. Right. And in the the season two, uh, opener, the, the, um, the party being lit, like it reminded me of, um, the Fiona Apple criminal video, just sort of like that, like harsh flash lighting on everything that just makes it feel like such a grungy party. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and so like youth, it's, it's just great. Yeah. I will say growing up in rural Indiana, most of the high school parties I went to were barn parties. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Not in houses. (laughs) Little, little different. Yeah. Little different. Um, but yeah, I love too with the different shots and mm-hmm. how they shoot uh, the different locations. I love that like all of the houses, I don't really quite know how they're laid out. <laughs> and I think it's done on purpose. Uh-huh. Um, like Rue and Gia's house like seems like huge. But from like the street, <laughs> it doesn't look that big. But it's just like hallways on hallways. But it's just like a U shape, I think. So I think like yeah. some of the houses here and then right. there's a hallway and then another hallway. Yeah. Right. But the way they the like, way they use those hallways, right? Frame it is yeah. insane. Yeah. And the same can kind of be said of Cassie and Lexi's house. I think I understand their house the most. Sure. But I love how all of the houses in this show are like pretty maze like. Yeah. Except for Jules's house. I think Jules's house is pretty straightforward. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, I really like the way that they really disorient you yeah. in a space. Sort of like a labyrinth? Like a labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So good. But yeah, getting back to uh, getting into the second season, yeah. I was shocked, but then really enjoyed when they went into Cal's backstory. Because um, at first I was like, I don't know if I need to see this character. I already understand that he's complex and challenged, and I do have some empathy for him, uh-huh. certainly. But then they really, like, rip open his character completely and actually made me care for him a lot. Yeah. And I was really resistant to it at first, but watching it the second time especially, I was, like, really into that storyline. Yeah. 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 Because I think he's probably one of the most interesting characters. Uh Uh-huh. Especially since we haven't really gotten into any of the other parents in, like, a very technical way, like Suze or Leslie. Yeah. Or uh, poor Cat's parents and Maddie's parents. Yeah. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think they're around, right? They're around. <laughs> um, and I'd like to know more about Jules's dad, but they don't really care to tell me about Jules's dad. But that's fine. <laughs> no, no. And the, I mean, the, the. I think the reason is because Cal is 
Cal has never matured, and so Cal's drama is their drama. And that's a good point. That starts off in episode one, right? Of like Cal is hooking up with somebody in the friend group, and like, um, uh, and yeah, I didn't know we'd get that either, and I and I loved it, and I I find it so interesting. Like, there's, um, it's really fascinating to me that like this like really sort of great and dynamic really queer show is coming from this like as far as i know like cis straight white man yeah yeah as far as i know as well um i know i i, I think his I, I think he is partnered with a woman right now um mm-hmm. and that's all i know about his sexuality but um but there's some like i mean with nate and with cal there's some like really interesting stuff going on there <laughs> definitely definitely um yeah and i i would assume that Hunter Schaefer getting cast, it, it feels very organic to me. It seems like Sam probably didn't have like very concrete plans for this show until maybe he cast the actors. Uh-huh. I, I can't imagine he would write a character like Jules and then go on like a casting search. Sure. I feel like he was probably aware of Hunter and then wrote a character for her. Yeah. That's and, the impression I get. Right. And Hunter is the only one, I think, of the cast who's gotten a writing credit on anything, right? I think so. Yeah. For her special. Right. Yeah. Um, Zendaya writes a handful of the stuff with Labyrinth, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I yeah. think so, Because, so. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, her singing on All For Us. Uh, that, so good. I mean, I... Um, and, and that, I think, was the culmination of, like, oh, yeah, you, we're using this mu- music video language. Let's just go full into a music video. And right. it was so exciting and dynamic and theatrical to me that I, I just love, love, love it. And um, I, I Echoes, did you, have we talked about Skins? Did you ever watch Skins? I did not watch Skins. I've seen, like, a couple episodes uh-huh. of the Nicholas Holt one. So yeah, right. the OG, not yep. the American remake. but. Sure. But no, I have not seen Skins. Skins Skins does a similar thing, and I loved it then, and I love it now. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of just, like, busting into, you know, not, like, as much as I love the, the, the Buffy musical episode and the Scrubs musical episode, it is not sort of like a um, campy commentary on musicals or anything like right. that. It's not winky. It's just like, this is how we're telling the story in this moment. And um, to have it come at the finale of the season... And to just, like, boldly go into that world was great, I think. Agreed. That was a moment in my rewatch where Heath was like, did she just take drugs? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Heath. (laughs) This is why I didn't watch it with you around the first time. (laughs) First time I'm, like, crying on the couch by myself. Second time, Heath, from the back. (laughs) she just take drugs? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm glad that that's communicating to you. (laughs) Right. Because, yeah, we get that cool, like, kind of call and answer to that in the second season, where I think probably the most haunting scene of the second season, where she is in the church, and she's, like, hugging Labyrinth, but she's really hugging her dad. But she's Um, really hugging nobody, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that was, again, like, a really cool way to explore why Rue does drugs. And I I really like the second season really goes into the fact that that is kind of like the way she gets in touch with her dad Mm -hmm. as far out as like, you know, just committing suicide. Yeah. Which it's a tough show that talks about a lot of tough things. Yeah. But I do feel like Rue, she says she doesn't want to be around for long, 
but she's not really actively. She could easily take herself out, but there's something in her that's choosing not to. For the moment, right? For the moment. Yep. But I really liked those moments where she's kind of explaining, like, when I close my eyes, I'm with my dad. Yeah. And I think that's something that, like, I don't know what the season planning was like, but it felt like, it it, it felt a little bit like, um, like, season one for me was just, like, sexy, sexy drama, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. just, like, all of this stuff is happening in these people's lives. And I feel like where we land in season one is a sort of understanding that that the that the the center of Rue's problems is is her missing her dad um and I, I feel like that's where season one gets to and i feel like season two is like a really is is an exploration of that now that we've landed there yeah is like calling back always and um and it's interesting, you know, the the it's interesting what the previous lands can make us focus on too, because I feel like I feel like in most, if not every, previously on in season two, they play the um, Rue clip from the diner of her saying, "I don't plan on being around that long." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting how that can frame, you know, how just that sort of like what the creators want you to keep track of in this episode can really frame the way you're watching something. Yeah, that's a good point. They really do kind of set you up on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it is part of the episode, technically. Totally. The previously on. Right. And yeah. and the um, landing at the end of season two, I think, in a place where... I think the arc of season two for Rue is, is changing that opinion a little bit. Mm-hmm. And is, like, like she sort of says, like, seeing her... Th- seeing herself with empathy and that giving her the license to want to be around longer. Yeah, definitely. Because I do think too, she later on, maybe in Lexi's words, maybe in her own, who knows, does say like, I'm angry. Um, and I think it's the first time she's really come around and realized like, Oh yeah, I'm angry. And I think some of that anger I would hazard a guess is because life has always been tough for her. She was, diagnosed possibly misdiagnosed in her youth and it really fucked her up yep and life has just kind of been tough for her the whole time yep way before her dad even got cancer yep and so when her dad died i'm sure part of her was a little jealous yeah that like he could exit and she can't yeah and then i think in the second season when her mom tells her like you know you do you like i can't convince you to live so you have to kind of make that choice on your own. I think it was the first time that Rue really realized, oh, you're you're right. I do have to make the choice on my own. Yep. And then it was really scary. Yeah. So I think at that moment, I think you're right. I think she is kind of starting to reconcile, like, can I live with this anger and confusion my entire life? No. Yeah. And do I want to? Probably not. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's talk about Nate for a second. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the character that I originally really disliked, and then on my second watch through, I really started to care for him. Um, I still think he can be a real shitbag, but... (laughs) I I think that's objective, right? (laughs) But I I did have a lot more empathy for him the second time around. So can you talk about what, what your thoughts were the first time and how that changed? The first time, I felt like everything he was doing was very calculated. Uh Uh-huh. And I just felt like he sat around just, like, 
planning these things. Uh-huh. Because I will say in that first season, everything other than the fact that he's like got a really desperately messed up childhood uh-huh. and relationship with his father and his mother and his brother and potentially this third child that's in the photo that they never talk about. We, we can get into that later. Yeah. Do you remember that family photo? Aren't there three kids in that photo? We'll I did not like that, but that's fascinating. It's confused me Great. the well, whole time. You know what? We need something for season three, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, anyway. So, yeah, watching the first time, I felt like Nate was kind of like a mastermind uh-huh. doing all this stuff. And I felt like Just he like was straight the up psychopath. aggressor yeah. and the active participant. Yeah. But then I started to realize later on, I think he's reacting to yeah. things going around him and not acting. Yeah. I think a lot of things are happening to him and he doesn't know what to do and he reacts poorly. Yeah. And I'm not making excuses for him because he does some pretty <laughs> terrible things. That guy. That guy. <laughs> he's that a bad guy. dude. <laughs> for sure. Um, but second season, he does seem like he's trying to reconcile with that. But he also, he does arguably, I think, the most fucked up thing in the second season. With, with Maddie um, and, you know, threatening her and, you know, potentially killing himself right on top of her. Yeah. That's probably the worst thing he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, very well acted scene. Very well acted scene. Very traumatic. Um, very, very dramatic and traumatic for sure. Do you think that he's... Do you think that it was right of him to turn his dad in? I don't know about right or wrong, but it did like it seem like it was something that he needed uh-huh. um, for a little bit of closure on his part, uh-huh. perhaps. Because I could understand where he was coming from from a very childlike perspective. Sure. Of like, you don't get to hurt us and then be good yeah. after that. And I think a lot of people, even if you've dealt with like a relationship or like a friendship that has gone wrong, and of course you see all of like the positives, you see oh, that ex-boyfriend is, like, doing okay, and I still hurt badly from that breakup or that relationship going south, um, people tend to only see the positives. So I don't think Nate, because he is still a child, pretty much, uh, could understand that what his dad was going through was more complex. I think he only saw what he wanted to see. Yeah. So I don't think it was necessarily the right thing to do. Um, but maybe for Nate, that was what he needed to do. I don't know how big of a question this is, but I had it. Um, do you think that Jules's video is included on that thumb drive? I don't know. Yeah. It seems unclear, right? It seems unclear. Um, and, and, uh, one of the things that we don't know is like, is uh was sleeping with underage people something that cal did a lot and like were there other videos that would be damning or was jules's video sort of unique in that from a legal standpoint i would think that most of the people or hopefully the majority of the people outside of jules were of legal age Uh but the fact that because he did make a point to ask her and she did lie to him so it makes me think that he's probably in the practice of asking for that Uh information but whether people are lying to him or not you know he doesn't care i think he's doing it to cover his bases but i get i get the 
the vibe that it's not his his thing isn't to sleep with underage people. I don't think that's his kink. Right. I think that kind of fell through the cracks and really fucked him up. Because he does right. seem... I don't know if he's upset that he had sex with Jules because she was underage or because it was someone that his son went to school with. Right. I don't know if it was a little bit of both, you know. Right. And particularly that combination. Like, right. not just not just both of those things, but both of those things together. This is somebody right. who I... Who, it, this was illegal and this person is in my life. Yeah. I have to keep seeing her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question. It um, would it would add to how duplicitous Nate is if he gave her the disc and then... Promised her it was the only copy. Yeah. Right? Knowing full well. I mean, he does kind of hesitate. He Well, he says it's not the only... Or, it's the only copy that I know of. Because granted, he doesn't yeah. know if Maddie made any copies or, you know, whatever. Or if his dad has copies somewhere else. Right. Right. Um, right. But I, I think what was going through, like, one little thing that was going through my head, and that's in the scene where he turns his dad in, is, like, was anything that his dad did specifically illegal beyond Jules? And, like, it, he's acting as if he's, like, the police are about to take this guy away, right? So, yeah. like, something is illegal on this thumb drive. Yeah. Um. And what is it if not Jules? Right. And if it is Jules, then he just lied to Jules. And the Jules-Nate relationship is fascinating. And, like, in some really horrible way, I'm, like, almost wanting them to end up together. (laughs) It's sad. But, yes, I know what you mean. (laughs) Um, In a way that is, like, like sexist and in the way of like I think she could fix him you know it's like all sorts of horrible things that that I shouldn't be thinking but like one of the show one of the things that the show does that is really I think the show's really good at getting you to sort of empathize with the people who fall for Nate and to sort Mm -hmm. of root for Nate in spite of everything we've seen Nate do (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah because they do have that conversation Nate and his mom and he's like she thinks you're an angry person and he says, I am angry, but it's directed at someone. I don't think I'm outright an angry person. Yeah. And again, it made me think, too, that his anger comes in retaliation. It's not an active anger. It's a retaliation right. anger. Right. Um, and we have... But still, like, yeah. he's been so interwoven with that. At this point, can he separate the two? Mm-hmm. Because you see him try to do good things and try to do nice things. But then in the next scene, he's, you know killing himself on top of Maddie's body. So it's, it's messed up and you wonder, yeah, I think he is redeemable. I think he is fixable. Uh-huh. I think, but also, yeah. Do I want that person to be Jules? Who's kind of with him standing by him through all of that? Cause I do think I trust him when he says, you know, everything I said, I was telling the truth. And right. of course we believe Jules cause we, Jules is a pretty trustworthy character. Yeah. So and what a great reaction Jules has to that. Yeah, she, she does too. not melt. It's just like, yeah, me too. Same here. Yeah, right. yeah, um, it's a bummer. <laughs> and he, I mean, we, I, we, I, it sounded, it sounded from previous talks like we have slightly different reads on how that started because I, I think I assumed in season one once we found out that it was Nate um, on on Grinder that um, that. Nate was secretly on Grinder exploring a part of himself as opposed to Nate was like setting a trap for Jules specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And f- and for me, that like 
the whole thing was like maybe he's going to be okay with this part of him you know like his his stuff with his dad like uh did you get the impression that his dad ever actually sexually abused him oh i i think cal didn't uh-huh. i don't think he ever actually sexually abused nate mm-hmm. but psychologically sexually abused him for sure mm-hmm. but i don't think he physically touched him mm-hmm. even though i guess parts of the show you could you could see it as like guiding you there yeah if if maybe it did do you think maybe he did i think that possibility is open and the biggest thing that points me there is something the mom says of like something changed in you when you were like 11 or 12 mm-hmm. and it's feels to me like that thing could easily be a night with his dad. And you don't think it was just the fact that he found, found the videos. videos? Could have been. Yeah. Totally could have been. Yeah, I mean, that's the damaging thing about child psychology is that at a certain point, it doesn't matter right. if he did or not. Because right. if Nate was having nightmares of it happening, that's just as real as it like pretty much happening. Right. Psychologically at that point, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think the, like, the amount with which, um, the amount of homophobia in that family, um, I, I think that, like, one of the things that that does is it, like, gives the license of, like, it's, like, so not okay to be gay that, like, it, it doesn't even feel like that much of a jump then that, like, I'm getting off on a video of my dad it's like it it's almost like like the whole like being gay is so bad that like it doesn't even register and I think there like I think there is sexual tension between Cal and Nate mm-hmm. I think on both sides is mm-hmm. how I felt about that and um and I think that's whether or not anything ever happened I think that's between them and I think it's like tricky yeah <laughs> Yeah, extremely. And Aaron just seems so aloof. And yeah, it's bizarre. I, I do love that, like, both Cal and Marsha at various points are like, yeah, he's a real dummy. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, like, I, and, and part of my read, I guess, is that, like, he's straight. Yeah, I think so. And, and so I he's, like, like, uncomplicated. That would, if, and... that, right. Like, A, you might not see that. Mm-hmm. You might not have the lens through which to see that mm-hmm. and be like, even if you did see that, it would not hit you in a way of like, I am the monster that I'm watching. Right. Right. Which is like very much labeled a monster, I think, in this family. Very much so. Yeah. I just like the whole family dynamic is strange. Just the fact that Aaron still lives there and yeah. I just don't know how old that guy is. <laughs> I forgot about Aaron until he was like there to watch his dad piss. Right. <laughs> Because Nate's very clearly a senior. Yeah. And so, what's this Aaron guy doing? Yeah. Is he like a college dropout? Like, not, not that there's anything wrong with a college dropout. That's like, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, agreed. Uh, he's here to like help cook chili, and that's yeah. it, I guess? I don't know. That's, I mean, and that scene with Nate and his mom is brutal in mm-hmm. ways that she, I don't think she understands. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he, he thinks he's at a happy ending. And she just, like, rips the band-aid off of, like, you're not fixed. No, you still suck. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and what a, I mean, what a horrible thing to do, like, to do to a person right then. I think he, I think he feels for the first time for five minutes, like something's going right in his life mm-hmm. and gets that ripped out from him. Yeah. But I think it also lends to the empathy you have for Marsha because she lives in such a like testosterone fueled household yeah. that was really governed by Cal and his mm-hmm. toxic masculinity. Yep. That the fact that he was gone, Marsha finally felt like she could breathe. Totally. And she felt for like the first time probably that she could have an honest conversation with her son. Right. And right. she and really let loose. You know? there's, right. There's part of that scene that's like, oh, finally, you're like talking to each other. You're like almost talking about emotions. Like this is going well. But then what comes out of it is like you are fully damaged in a way that you're never going to recover from. And I'm your parent and I'm going to just gonna tell you that. Yeah. yeah. Whereas he feels like I finally got out from under it. Right. I did like that Marsha pretty much knew that it was him that choked Maddie. Yeah. And that she had she had known the whole time. Yeah. It kind of speaks to like the female intuition of like yep. well, she had to sit by Cal's side and while Cal like desperately tried to cover it up and was trying to not see the facts and so of course Marsha, she's been like dead for years. And the misogyny of like sort of feeling like Maddie maybe deserved it. Like, it, right. you know, there was that in it too. She also doesn't like her. Yeah. Right. It's like, you, like that, that, that conversation, I'm, you, you've seen it twice. I've only seen it once, but the conversation in my mind is a little bit of like, she deserved to be choked. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. Not nice. Yeah. Not nice. <laughs> I don't think Nate should be with Maddie or Cassie. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think he's bad for all of them. I think he's bad for, I think he needs to go be with himself for, you know, 10 years. Maybe he'll get with Kat in season three. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, do we talk about rumors on this podcast? Like, have oh, you looked at the... About, like, looked? what went down with Barbie Ferreira yeah, right. and Sam Levinson? I've right. heard all of the different things. <laughs> I've heard that there were creative differences. Mm-hmm. I've heard that there weren't creative differences and that mm-hmm. this was just the way it was supposed to go. I have no idea what to believe. I find it... Um, I find it irresponsible to, uh, at, like, in a storytelling way, to drop Kat's arc that much, which I makes agree. me think that something went down. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not here to speculate on what that was, but, um, but it feels really strange to have such a dynamic season one arc, and then to to really, um, largely abandon that in season two, mm-hmm. um, and sort of like downgrade it from this interesting thing to sort of like I'm trapped in a relationship that I don't really care about. <laughs> right. I did love the influencer scene. I mean. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah, well, that spoke to me as well because in when I was in junior high and high school, there were several times that I would be like really into the chase of like getting the boyfriend and yep. then I'd have the boyfriend for like a week and it made me so uncomfortable that I would end it. Very awkwardly. Yep. <laughs> not not uh, degenerative brain disease. <laughs> awkwardly, that but was, that was a high, yeah, that was a high water mark for awkward. Right? <laughs> but I definitely, you know, kind of freaked out once I actually got the relationship because then I had to like be myself. Yeah. Right. And Kat has that moment where she doesn't even really know who she is. Yeah. Because most of her life, she's only really been her online persona. Right. And now that she has to be, like, a real living person in front of another person, you know, it's tough. Yeah, totally. Um, 
But, but yeah, I, love I thought fan- I love her Game of Thrones moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very cool. The, yeah, the, the the like three moments that she has in season two are great, but they yeah. do not seem to do justice to what we were setting up in season one. No, no, and the brain thing was just so weird and out of left field. Yeah. It was just yeah out of nowhere. Yeah, really it took you like, out. Right, it felt sort of. Um, like just a like very on the nose in terms of like I gaslighting and and um like a little less um she felt smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see what happens next season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so sad the whole Fezco thing and we can touch on that briefly. But for a while there I thought they were trying to push like Ethan and Lexi. And I'm like, Ethan and Lexi would probably be pretty good for each other. Yeah, that's true. If there wasn't Fesco. But I know Fesco's not very good for Lexi, but I love him so much. Yeah. 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 I think originally he was supposed to die. He, apparently that guy just keeps getting, like, the plan is always for Fesco to die die? pretty soon. (laughs) Like, I think I read that he was going to die, like, a couple episodes in, and then they liked him enough that they were going to kill him off in the season one finale, Mm. and then they were apparently going to kill him off in the season two finale, like, until the day before they shot it, and then they were like, nah, that kid's going to die instead. (laughs) Or in in addition to, I don't know how it was, but, um, uh, poor poor little ashtray. I I know. I, I think he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. Which is sad, but you could kind of see at a certain point that Ash, like, really couldn't sustain himself anymore in that environment. Like, no, he, and was never like was was stunted in a way that he was never going to get out of. Yeah, and in a way that was actually always going to hold Fez back from being like a fuller person than he is. Yeah, and he he probably could feel that. Yeah, and he could internalize that, and yeah. Yeah, he was probably one of the most interesting parts of season one for me was when you first see Ash on screen and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this little kid drug dealer? Yeah. And then I also love later on that you see him giving the tattoos to Rue and Jules and then you find out later that that never happened, (laughs) which is a cool little flip. I love the unreliable narrator. Totally. Thing going on through for sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, ashtray. Oh. oh. You'll be R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> so yeah, the the only character that I wish we could see more of, and I don't know why they haven't shown us more of her, is BB. I don't know why they keep BB around. She's so funny. She's like the forgotten friend. Like literally I'm forgetting her. Who is she? Oh. <laughs> she's the one uh she's in most of the show. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, for lack of the better word, like the really ghetto girl that hangs out with Maddie and Cassie and Kat. Okay. She usually wears like sweats. She has like a lot of tracksuits okay. going on. Yeah. Great. She's in like the first opening <laughs> scene where they're all getting ready for that party. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's at the birthday party. She's in the hallway telling like Maddie beat her ass. I pretty fully forgot about BB. Yeah. BB. <laughs> BB. Justice yeah. for BB. What is her deal? <laughs> Why is she here if we're not going to focus on her? Fair question. I don't get it. I mean, again, we like we, you know we need that season three content. So I know. <laughs> Where do you want to see season three go? Like, what do you think this is? The first time I was really sad that Rue was doing that voiceover and saying, you know, Jules was my first real love, but like, how could I know? I was high for most of it. Mm-hmm. It it seemed so final, 
and I wasn't ready to see that relationship be like over over but it kind of feels like it's over and that's probably better for both of them but yeah I mean the, I don't know yeah her Rue walking away from that conversation was pretty brutal I thought I thought so too but I think I think Jules understood I think there was an understanding there um considering Rue didn't say anything to her and just kissed her and left <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um yeah I Rue was so. like surprisingly with it at the end of that season <laughs> that's true yeah yeah well she was she had gone she was clean right she was clean she yeah. didn't get into the rehab that her mom wanted to get her into that's right um but, right. but I do believe she was clean. Oh, that was a brutal phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. That was a very well shot scene. Yeah. And it makes me, like, it makes me wonder, um, you know, again, from those, like, from those after interviews, it sounds like Sam's narrative of his own life is that, like, I went through all of this stuff and... Uh, sort of hit rock bottom and got clean and sober and that's another chapter in my life and I'm curious to see if euphoria continues into that chapter of Rue's life or if it's always going to be sort of a in and out uh, mm -hmm. with her and drugs and her and chaos mm -hmm. um, it's on some level it feels like we're maybe being set up for a season three in which Rue's definitively turning it over over a new leaf and that'll be a very different show. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I'm under the impression, and maybe this is apparent, maybe it's not, okay. uh, under the impression that Nate, Cassie, Maddie, Kat, that all of those characters are seniors. And that Lexi, Rue, Jules, Elliot... They're all juniors. Okay. And so... Yeah, that's going to get interesting, huh? Rue said, you know, something to the effect of, like, I stayed clean the rest of the year, the rest of the school year. Yep. Um, so I'm wondering if season three is going to come back senior year for them. Yeah. And then we're going to have the transition for the rest of the cast going into college, similar to poor forgotten McKay. Yeah. That got kind of dropped in yeah. season two. Yeah, he did. Um, there wasn't really much for him to do if he wasn't with Cassie anymore, but... True, right. But he, they set him up. They, like, gave him a whole episode, you know? Yep. And then they're like, bye. Yep. <laughs> bye, McKay. <laughs> right, and again, again, check out the rumors online if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wonder if that's what they'll do in yeah. season three. Yeah, it's hard. Know. I mean, it's hard for these high school shows to get past that. That is a hard thing to figure out narratively yes. of, like, how to maintain this world that you've created when it breaks away. Mm-hmm. Because um, you were a Skins viewer and I was a Degrassi viewer, and well, right, and this Degrassi recycles this kind of similar drama, you know, just with different kids, right? And <laughs> and same goes with Skins, and yeah, or or you do the like the Dawson's approach or mm -hmm. the Gilmore Girls approach, which is like, well, I guess we just follow these people now and meet other people and see them go to college. Um, it's funny that we have we've had like zero college talk that I can remember about sort of like. These, if these people are seniors, like, where are they going? Are they going with each other? Are they going mm -hmm. close to home? Um, yeah, because it's also very uh, it's mysterious where this show even takes place. And I thought I had a handle on it. But then in the cow episode, they said 
like Cal was going to Duke and Derek was going to a school out west. And I'm like, well, you wouldn't say a school out west if you're as far west as you can be in California. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that means they're on the, the eastern coast, maybe, somewhere. Hard I, to say. I don't know what the city is that Jewel goes to. Like, what, what city is Jewel's going to? <laughs> I think they're in a Chicago suburb. That's oh. where I've landed. Um, Fair. But I don't know if that's true. <laughs> there's a there's a title, there's a name to the town, and I don't know if it's really a town. East Highland. Right. Yeah. But it's very ambiguous yeah. as to where East Highland is. Sure. Yeah. I think it's funny that it's called Highland. Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things going on here. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be happy to watch any of these characters. At this point, I guess I'm okay with it just taking me on a ride. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I've enjoyed Euphoria most when I'm just kind of letting it do its work. Yeah. And me not trying to do the work for it. Yeah. I get, I'm like, I'm, I just get nervous. Every time a show I like gets a new season, I get nervous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a good way to feel, right? <laughs> right. Well, it's just like, I, you know, the, um, uh, I think shows have, so much energy and life when they start out mm-hmm. and then like figuring out like or i guess like of avoiding the 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 um downfall of we need to figure out like if we need to figure out plot for the next season and sort of the viewability of that from an audience of like oh you're gonna push these two people together now so that we have like a plot for this season or like blah 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 um is is tricky um and it's uh the the shows that i love the most i often love them the most for their first couple of seasons or if they like learn how to stick the landing but like those middle seasons are tricky yeah definitely Um, so I hope, I hope we figure something great out. <laughs> and yeah. the, and the like, you know, I think the, the, there's also this sort of narrative, this like, uh, shows have, I think like thesis statements mm-hmm. or like, uh, or questions that they're asking at the beginning of a show that they mm-hmm. have often explored a lot of by the end of season one and by the end of season two. And so it's a, it's an identity crisis of like, okay we have explored Rue's addiction a lot. We have explored Rue's missing her father a lot. Like if she's the protagonist, we have sort of explored Rue's love life. We have sort of explored Rue's family. Like what is the place that we can go that it's not going to be retreading? Mm-hmm. Is a hard question. It is. And yeah, like I feel like the things that could be worth exploring further in that family setup would be like Gia yeah. However, I'm really kind of here for Zendaya, so yeah. not anything against Storm Reed, the actress who plays Gia. Yeah. I think she does a great job. But do I want majority of the story covered from her perspective? I don't know. I don't know if that's what I want or not. Right. Um, right. And I think that like the 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 group of characters that we have been following is so dynamic that mm-hmm. sort of like that and and that's that's how skins handles season three is like you basically start to follow nicholas holt's younger sister mm-hmm. and her group of friends and it's um the problem i had with it was like i miss all the other people <laughs> yes 
Yeah, maybe the the best way to go out for Euphoria is to do like a couple more specials and then be like, that's it. Right. Well, they're 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 renewed for season three, so <laughs> yes, we're, we're going to see what happens. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, and I and you know that there's, I hope they find the right way forward because um, because they've managed to find the right way forward so far. I think. I agree. Yeah, I definitely know. In season three, I just want to hear more labyrinth. Yeah, uh, that's really like my big. Big request yeah. is just use him because he got him. Yep. So, and he's great. Yep. Don't have to dip into the pot to pay for all these other <laughs> musical tracks, you know? Like, those and are fine too, but... It, it does sound like a sort of amazing thing. Like, uh, you know, Zendaya was talking about it, that he just, like, had a trailer on set. And yeah. Just, like, like be, a studio on set. Like, like a, right. Like a, tra- a studio on set and would just be, like, scoring these things as they happen. And that's... That's that seems particularly unique to me. You know, I I I know a couple of people who have done music for TV shows, and it's like they get sent some footage, and then they sort of sit there with their. You know, it's a lot like um, for Gangster Marshall or something. Is that oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> makes me think of bum, that. Bum, yeah. Bum. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think that's what Labyrinth's doing. No, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> no, yeah, agreed. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we've exhausted the majority of things for the most part, I would say. Good I think so too. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. For sure. Obviously, listeners, if you've listened to this whole thing, you've gotten a lot of stuff spoiled for you. Mm. But I will say that the journey is just as exciting as just like knowing what happens. Mm-hmm. The way it's told is very captivating. So if you've listened to all of this, thank you. And if you haven't seen the show and you're still listening, I mean, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I ask you a, a final question? Sure. Um, go as big or as small as you want, but uh, uh, sort of s- cinematically and creatively, do you have a, are, is there a moment or some moments that stick out to you in the show of like, this is the combination, this is what I love, this is great storytelling, this is great visuals, this is, what do you love? Oh, that's a very great question. Thank you. And I think particularly for this show, it lends, it, <laughs> lends itself well to this question. Yeah. Um, as I said, I think season one works together as a whole mm-hmm. um, a lot more, especially with those like character intros where you're yeah. seeing like insight. Um, I think season or episode four where you see like Jules's backstory yeah. was like, oof, okay, like this is really taking you to this spot. Um, but there are so many moments in season one that I really loved. Season two, I think, has, like, more of the highs for Mm -hmm. me because they start getting more creative and they start, like, really not caring about doing these, like, ridiculous things. (laughs) Um, I do think episode five, season two, is the best episode um, Mm -hmm. where Rue is on the run. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that episode is, like, that is an all-timer best episode of things, just in general. Um, I think it's great. Yep. Um, but I do, I think that opening, uh, I think it's in maybe it's episode four where Rue and Jules are like all of the different paintings mm-hmm. and yeah. they get into like Brokeback Mountain yeah. and Titanic yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> Snow White. I think that sequence yeah. is so good. Yeah. And the fun that they have with that storytelling. And it, yes. it, it like harkens, like, I feel like we got some of that in season one with like the detective yes. episode and just sort of like being able to just boldly go into these genres for fun. For fun. <laughs> right. 
I also love that Rue really seems like she's like out of time with mm. like the things that she really likes and her influences. Totally. Like the music that she listens to and the movies that she watches. She kind of seems to be like a conduit for pop culture. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like funny to watch that scene and see all those different like painting references. And you you don't even really sit and think like, do Rue and Jules even like know these but i mean jules is an artist and yep. you know they have a shared love for pop culture but yeah yeah it's just so funny to even like think you know do they know these references or is this really just like sam right, right. <laughs> like speaking through them right. but doesn't matter no no right um what about love, you <laughs> uh well going off of that i also like love the when they um maybe end of episode six season two or episode seven the, the sort of vignettes that they do like particularly of cassie with all the flowers around her oh yeah um that feels like it sort of is this serious response to the call of um like brokeback mountain and um and all those things of like now let's take the comedy out of it and just like let these people live in these vignettes in a different way um i just think that's visually so exciting and like the the way that it's letting like sort of other art forms interact with television is really exciting yeah yeah and i do love the oklahoma scene in the bathroom yes (laughs) (laughs) with brian cox or whoever right yeah 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 the brian cox version is also hilarious (laughs) but yeah i think you had said in a text at some point, you're like, Rue's reactions to things. Like, she just basically, anytime she's reacting to something in a scene, she's stealing the scene. I mean, like, that whole play was <laughs> happening, and I just wanted to watch Sunday and watch it. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the way she can, like, pull her face into, like, a grimace <laughs> is very, very good. And, like, you know, I... I um. I don't know if this was lucky or if this is why she was cast, but she's also, like, really fun to watch high. Extremely. (laughs) She, like, her performance in scenes where she is high on something is great. And, like, that's not true of every actor. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's something very scary to her, Mm -hmm. but also deeply comedic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she's good. She's good. Lo and behold, Zendaya's good. Zendaya. (laughs) You guys check her out. (laughs) She doesn't need our approval, but we approve. <laughs> well, Scotty, do you have anything else to, to plug, say about Euphoria? You know, season three coming sometime. I, yeah. I hope everyone watches it. And and here, at, like, if, if you like Euphoria, do check out Assassination Nation. It's Sam Levinson's, I think, directorial debut. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's... Um, I consider it like a great sort of uh, update or spiritual uh, kin to Heather's, and it's a really fun watch. Sounds like a very good recommendation. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't really have anything necessarily to plug. Um, I do want to thank you listeners for sticking with us through this episode of Euphoria. I hope we covered things that you kind of wanted to hear. But if there's anything that we didn't cover that you wanted more insight into what we thought, please reach out and let us know. Um, Best places to do that are on Instagram or on Twitter. But the best place to go is uh, storyscreenbeacon.com. And you can find all of our handles at the bottom of the page. Uh, very handy little hub to find all the info. 
And then, of course, while you're there, check out all of our articles and reviews and other podcasts. And at the moment, we have a super dope exclusive feed for $5 a month where you can get a bunch of exclusive articles and podcasts that are a little bit more niche, but definitely really fun to just like take deep dives into those exclusive podcasts. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if Euphoria comes back for season three, Scotty and I will get back together. When? When. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about that at length. And our next Cathode Ray cast that you have to possibly look forward to <gasps> is a deep dive between me and Rhea Banerjee about This Is Us. Ooh. So if shitty television is for you... Yeah. That podcast is also for you. <laughs> this Is Us is a great example of a scored through show. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe a bad example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hard to say. But thank you so much, Scotty, for joining me. It, it's been euphoric. <laughs> it's been euphoric. I love it. <laughs> and thank you, listeners, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.